Thank you so much, Katie. And uh, good morning, church family. And if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, we're just delighted to have you here. I'm, uh, my name is Randy, and I'm the lead minister here at the church. Um, and um, as Katie mentioned earlier, we're in a series on the Beatitudes. And we're going to be looking at the Beatitude uh, concerning hunger. How many of y'all are hungry? You had breakfast? Huh? I have breakfast. I don't miss breakfast. I love breakfast. I think it's my favorite meal, right? Amen. A or B? That's right. A or B. This morning it was A, Valina. A. I usually either have A or B for breakfast. That's the extent of my creativity. A is like savory. A is savory, so it would be this morning it's an omelet and uh, cheese and a little bit of salmon, and then I have um, some uh, toast and um, just very lightly buttered. And it's just, it is. I'm not kidding you. And then they have this cherry uh, preserve that's just a killer. I mean, it's really good, it, and it is a killer if you have too much of it. But I mean, it's really good. And uh, that's a and. Uh, and B is steel-cut oats. Yeah, and it's, uh, that's kind of sweet. So A is savory, B is sweet, and uh, put some almonds and raisins and uh, dried cherries, and sometimes some blueberries, and drizzle it with some honey, always with dark roast coffee, always with dark roast coffee. Um, um, uh, black velvet, to be specific, um, and it's it's the dark roast that's out in the foyer, uh, because I have some pull around this place, you know, and, uh, I don't really care what the children's facility looks like, but we're going to have dark roast. Amen. I love I, I, I love food. I do, um, and and especially that first bite, you know, that hits your taste buds after you know, eight hours, and it's just, whew, and uh, it's really good. When my, uh, when my now 27-year-old son was four years old, um, I introduced him to the wonderful world of chocolate milk, and I'll never forget, just, I mean, he already has kind of bright eyes anyway, kind of like his mom, and, and so, but, but I mean, when, when, when he took that first sip of chocolate milk, Wow, it was like a rush, you know, and, and, and so I am totally looking forward to the day that I can introduce our little granddaughter to the wonderful world of chocolate milk, and uh, because, you know, the, the satisfaction, the satisfaction is in the having, not the hungering, right? The satisfaction is in the having and not the hungering, and, and, um, and you would know this if you're an American, because for those of us Americans, we, we're all about food, right? I mean, we have, a, we have a TV channel that's just dedicated to food, you know? And there's, uh, you, know, you know, Pioneer Woman, right? How many of you watch Pioneer Woman? I love Reed Drummond. She's from Oklahoma. Why wouldn't I love Reed Drummond? And, and then there's Man versus Food. And uh, diners, drive-ins, and, and dives, you know, 
And then, and then for you highbrow folk, I mean, there's Julia Child, right? Julia Child, French cooking. I enjoy cooking with wine, and sometimes I even put it in the food. No. You know, when we Americans, uh, those of us who are Americans, when we think about food, I mean, we kind of approach it from abundance, don't we? I mean, they are our church property is adjacent next to this vast field of food. I mean, we're in the breadbasket of the country and the breadbasket of the world. I mean, it's, uh, there's, and there's no lack of water uh, in our part of the country. And, and, uh, and in the Midwest, we are intolerant when there are water problems, you know, tainted water. Those issues, we just we don't have much tolerance for that uh, because we're about food and uh, and, and because Americans find satisfaction in the having, not the hungering. In the having and not the hungering. Food's all over the Bible, isn't it? I mean, it was over food that Adam and Eve were expelled from Eden. It was over food that God made a covenant with Abraham to be the father of many nations. It was over food, the Passover meal, a meal eaten in haste, just before Israel made their exodus from Egypt. Uh, and if you read the first five books of the Old Testament, and if you read the book of Leviticus, I mean, there's food, clean, unclean food. This dominates the giving of the Hebrew law. Um, in the Bible, having food in table fellowship says that you're accepted, that you're loved, welcome, you're welcome. Food is about hospitality. Clearly, clearly, satisfaction is in the having and not the hungering, okay? Which makes this scripture that we're going to look at this morning intriguing, this beatitude. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. It's up on the screen. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Again, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, that's not really something you'd expect to hear, is it? Oh, you might expect to hear it in a place like this, but I mean, really, when you really think about it, and don't just blow through the verse, but just really contemplate that verse, I mean, we'd almost expect Jesus to say something like, blessed are those who have righteousness. Blessed are those who do righteousness. Blessed are those who practice righteousness. Do righteous deeds. It's those people. They are the ones who are satisfied. And I'm not talking about the hypocritical types of righteousness that we'll get to a little later on this morning, but I'm just talking about the kind of righteousness that just makes you a good, decent human being, and you take care of your neighbor's mail when they're on vacation, and, and you're just a kind individual, and you're approachable. Those kind of people, having done a day of that, having lived rightly, you can rest your head on the pillow at night and just give a sigh of satisfaction. Ah, that was good. I'm glad I did that. I'm satisfied. Yes, I can sleep. That's what we ex would expect Jesus to say. Blessed are those who have righteousness. They're the ones who will be satisfied. But that's not what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, is it? 
He's not blessing those who come to him full of their righteousness or their righteous acts. He's blessing and congratulating and favoring those who come to him starved for righteousness. Blessed are those empty of righteousness, craving righteousness. Their stomachs are growling for righteousness. Isn't that strange? And yet, isn't that so typical of Jesus? He who said the last shall be first, the greatest shall be the least. To gain your life, you need to lose your life. Does it really surprise us to hear him say that the most satisfied people in life are those who starve? Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What's he mean by that? Hungering and thirsting. What does that mean? And, and what about righteousness? What's he talking about? And how are they satisfied? Those are the key questions that I want us to consider this morning as we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, beginning with hungering and thirsting. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. What is that? Well, that is from Psalm 107. Jesus knew his Bible. And take your Bible and look at Psalm 107. It's on page 506 of your church Bibles. This psalm sings about how God treated his people in their deepest need. It's a beautiful song with trigger words. And when you hear these words, when those who first heard these words, the Hebrew people in worship, when they heard these words, they, they were triggers to events that took place in their people's history and God's mighty acts among them. Psalm 107, Psalm 107 is about the lost who were retrieved, that's verses 1 through 6, the imprisoned who were released, that's verses 7 through 13, the castaways who were rescued, that's 14 to 19, and then the foolish who were restored, that's 20 to 28. And then the remainder of the psalm is just a, a praise to God because only he did this. Psalm 107 speaks about lost, wandering, longing, silly souls, foolish souls, souls hungry to be found, souls hungry to be freed, souls hungry for hope. God, do something. And he did. Four times in Psalm 107, verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, verse 28, Four times it's repeated verbatim. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Four times. So to say that you hunger and thirst is to say that you're in trouble. 
To say that you hunger and thirst is to say that you're in distress. It's to say that you have longings and you have cravings and yearnings and desires. And like hunger pangs, these cravings nag you and needle you and irritate you and annoy you. And you know when you're hungry, I mean, you just can't think about anything else. Your hunger dominates your mind and your life. And in both Matthew 5 and Psalm 107, we learn something about ourselves as humans. And it's this. It's not just our stomachs that go hungry. It's our souls that go hungry. Our souls go hungry. For he satisfies the longing soul. Psalm 107.9. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. You know your soul gets hungry, right? It's hungry. It's hungry for it's hungry for health. It's hungry for beauty. It's hungry for knowledge. It's hungry for relationships. It's hungry for community. Your soul gets hungry for significance. Your soul gets hungry because you want to make a difference. You want to live a life that matters. Your your soul is hungry for glory. We we have glory-hungry souls. And your soul is hungry for love, too. John Ortberg has written an excellent book called Soul Keeping. He has a fascinating quote here. He says, we are limited in virtually every way. We're limited in our intelligence, in our strength, in our energy, in our morality. There's only one area where human beings are unlimited. We have unlimited desire. We always want more. It's true, isn't it? We want more time. We want more wisdom. We want more beauty. We want more funny YouTube videos. We want more. This is, this is our soul that's crying out. We never have enough. We're hungry. Our souls are hungry. And by the way, this is good. This is good. See, our problem is not our hunger. The problem is where we seek to satisfy our hunger. Uh, I'm thinking of Dwayne Thomas, uh, once the star running back for the Dallas Cowboys, This great quote, he once asked, if the Super Bowl is called the ultimate game, why do they play it again next year? Even the atheist Jean-Paul Sartre once confessed that there comes a time when one asks, even of Shakespeare, even of Beethoven, is that all there is? Is that all there is? We've experienced that, haven't we? You know, Even when we get that promotion, or even when we get that recognition, or even when we get that possession, after a little while, you you just can almost anticipate the question, is that all there is? You ever felt that? That's the feeling of a hungry soul. And that hunger, by the way, is a clue that God exists. In fact, God uses hunger to help us hunger for Him. He says as such in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, And God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, 
But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your hungry soul signals the existence of God who made you to hunger for him. And that's why Isaiah 55, 2 asks this penetrating question, why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Christianity insists that just as stomach hunger reveals the real human need for physical food, soul hunger reveals the real need that can only be satisfied by God. And what is that need? Righteousness, Jesus says. Righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus says that the only legitimate object worthy of your hunger is righteousness. Now we need to find out what he meant by that. What does he mean by righteousness? Well, well, as I mentioned earlier, it's clearly not the kind of righteousness that is referenced in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, when Jesus said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So what the word means depends on the context, okay? And here in Matthew 6, 1, you know, righteousness is not a public display of religion for the sake of attention. It's not about performing religious-looking deeds to project a religious-looking image. Righteousness has to do with Matthew chapter 6, 33, at the end of the chapter. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So we're not talking about righteousness from below, but righteousness from above. And all these things will be added to you. So Jesus says that righteousness is a life that matches the will of God. That's what righteousness is. A life that matches the will of God. God, I want my life to fit your will. I want my life to be in sync with your will. I've got a little cable that you know, connects my iPod with my computer, and they're in sync, right? I want them to be in sync. God, I want my life to be in sync with you. I want my life to match that portion of the Lord's Prayer that says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, in my life, in my heart, as it is in heaven. That's what he means by righteousness. But you and I both know there's a problem. Our lives don't match God's will. Our lives have been ruined by self-will. And we cannot correct what we've ruined. We can't. We cannot correct what we've ruined on our own. I'm thinking of that famous painting called the Ichi Homo. Behold the man, painted by Elias Garcia Martinez in 1930 and placed in the Sanctuary of Mercy Church in Borja, Spain. And it began to deteriorate because of the humidity and so forth. And a well-meaning 80-something-year-old uh, woman decided to restore it on her own and she botched the job, see. Yeah. 
can't undo that, can you? The damage has been done, and it can't be undone now. See? This is us. This is us. So now what? So now what is that God in his loving mercy sent his son, Jesus Christ, from heaven. And he lived a life that's beyond remarkable. And he lived and ate and traveled with men and women who saw him, watched him, observed him. They took note of what he said, how he said it. They saw him when he was tempted. He was tempted in every way and yet was without sin. They saw his righteous life. They saw him persecuted by his enemies. They saw him put to death as a victim of injustice on the cross. Christ cried out for us. Christ was abandoned for us. Christ was imprisoned for us. Christ was seen as foolish for us. He was cast away for us. He died for us. And then remarkably, supernaturally, the scripture says that on the third day of his death, God raised this Jesus to life. And now God makes this offer. He says, I will graciously apply the perfect righteousness of Christ to you. It's a double exchange. Christ is charged with my unrighteousness, and I am credited with his righteousness. You say, that's not fair. Of course it's not fair. It's grace. It's mercy. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's Jesus. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God put my guilt on Christ. And God gifted the perfect righteousness of Christ to me. Why? Because he loves me. And why does he love me? Because he loves me. He loves me because he loves me. He gives me what I need but cannot attain on my own. Listen, people who are starving don't have time to plant and weed and harvest. They need food now. Dehydrated people don't have the energy to dig a well. They need water now. And unless someone steps in, they're not going to survive. Jesus came so that we could survive, so that we could have life now. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. That's us. And he delivered them from their distress. That's Jesus. <laughs> and that's his righteousness. So you see, righteousness is a gift. It's a gift. A gift we receive passively before it becomes a lifestyle that we practice actively. Righteousness is both Passive and active. Passive righteousness is vertical. It's between God and us. It's what we receive from God in Christ. It's forgiveness, it's grace, it's mercy, it's pardon, it's hope. It's God not holding our sins against us. It's God not keeping a grudge. My limitless hunger is satisfied by God's limitless righteousness. Passive righteousness. Active righteousness is is between myself and others. It's horizontal. Active righteousness occurs as I treat others the way God has treated me. Passive righteousness 
consists of the first four Beatitudes. Passive righteousness is about being poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, and a hunger for God. Passive righteousness. Active righteousness consists of the last four Beatitudes. Mercy giving, peacemaking, purity of heart, not repaying evil with evil, you see. Passive righteousness forever frees us from the need to reimburse God. Active righteousness forever frees us to love others. Because God has served me vertically, passive righteousness, I can serve others horizontally. So we live out of belovedness. Passive righteousness. And that fuels us to loving action. Active righteousness. Christ's love for us produces love from us. That's righteousness. You see, the gospel says that God does not need your good works. But your neighbor does. God does not need your morality. But your spouse does. Your former does. Your enemy does. And the result... Satisfaction. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Don't you hear what Jesus is saying? The most satisfied in life are those who starve for Christ. The most satisfied in life are those who starve for Christ. And when we're satisfied, Jesus is saying, I myself satisfy you. So everything I do from here on out is from the limitless supply of the righteousness of Christ. And, and, and so when Christ satisfies me, I don't, I don't have to try to justify myself. In, in Christ, I have all the righteousness I will ever need. I don't have to wake up in the morning wondering what God thinks about me. I don't have to worry about what happens if I have a bad day or if I relapse or when I relapse. Jesus is my righteousness. That's why the Apostle John would say in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See? And so because of him, I never start a day with a righteousness deficit, ever. My account is full. So, so, so when we teach the Bible or study the Bible or learn the Bible or live the Bible or serve others or do local and global outreach, the, the cradle-to-career meeting that took place here on our church campus this past week to help kinder, kindergartners and pre-kindergartners get ready for school, how, you know, what was it that fueled that active righteousness? Active righteousness and, and the, the teaching of uh, English as a second language that took place on our campus here. 
our missions trips, the leadership seminar that's next Saturday. All of these things are, are, are ministries of active righteousness and not just church activities either. I'm talking about in the office tomorrow. I'm talking about in the classroom or in the clinic or on the plane or meeting with patients or students. Whether home or work, you enter those places with a full supply of satisfying righteousness. And furthermore, the satisfaction Christ supplies leaves us wanting more of it, like the wedding in John chapter 2. When Jesus changed the water into wine, it was said to the wedding host, remember? You've saved the best until now. Well, this is what happens when we hunger for Christ. Every next bite, every sip, every drink, every swallow leaves you both satisfied and wanting more. When you taste Jesus, every taste is better than the one before. And how? Because of the quality of God's cuisine. Jesus said in John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. How satisfying. You want that? What's the quality of your cuisine? Are you eating cheap food? Are you feeding your soul cheap food? Well, how do you get God's cuisine? Well, remember the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, and in that parable, that, that younger son grew hungry, and, and, and uh, he resorted to having to eat pig food. That's a Hebrew audience now. This Hebrew young man having to eat pig food. And the scripture says he came to his senses, and he went to his father, and that's when his diet changed. See, you have to be able to walk away from whatever table you're at and come to Christ's table. That's what you've got to be willing to do. Christ will serve you, but only at His table. You've got to come to His table. Because Christianity is not about making yourself a Christian. It's about ceasing from the futile attempt to save yourself by your own record. It's about repenting of your own righteousness. And embracing the righteousness of Christ. And it's about doing this every single day. Are you satisfied in that? Are you satisfied in the righteousness of Christ? Or are you still trying to make yourself a Christian? To work up your own righteousness? Are you satisfied in Christ or are you self-satisfied? Are you satisfied in the righteousness of Christ or are you hypersensitive and defensive? We all long for righteousness. We're bent on getting it. The question is, whose righteousness? Whose righteousness? And if you come to Christ stuffed with yourself, you will starve. But come hungry, and you'll be satisfied. I love food. And I am grateful that every week in our church family, we remember the favor and love of our King 
through the symbols of the loaf and the cup. His body and his blood, his very life, his very sacrifice, symbols that speak of Christ's satisfying and sustaining righteousness. Righteousness, that's first a gift to be received vertically before it becomes a way of life that I practice horizontally. You see why some have called Matthew 5, 6 the beatitude of the beatitudes, because this is Christianity. This is our faith. Righteousness. It's a gift, and then it's a way of life. So we're going to close by together reciting Psalm 107, 8 and 9. I'm going to pray, then Katie's going to come up, lead us in a song, and we're going to share around the Lord's table and be satisfied with the righteousness of Christ. Let's read these verses together on three. One, two, three. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. This is God's word. Amen.